0: It's Thursday, June 2nd, 2022, and you're listening to episode 598 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 45 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. I'm Brodor. This is Julia. And this is Caleb. So last episode, I was talking about how... I was having trouble with a game master that was getting stuck up on things that really were immaterial to the game that we were playing and how we felt really boxed in and really restricted, like the game master would only allow a very narrow band of things to work and really seemed to want us to follow some kind of script that wasn't, objective based was almost like method based. Like it's not about getting into the dragon's lair, but it's about all these reasons why your ideas for getting into the dragon's lair don't work. And he's waiting for us just to find this right action that satisfies whatever solution he was looking for. Well, between this episode and last episode, my brother-in-law Doug, he had a, an ingenious solution that I want to share which is he found a way to create a metaphor for the problem because you try to explain something in terms of a role-playing game the person's likely just get very defensive or given the complexity of the game they're going to get somewhat lost in the weeds and say well yeah but the nuance or the context of this made it different and pretty soon you lose the forest for the trees. And if you try to demonstrate it in a role-playing game, even if you don't lose the forest for the trees, which you probably will, because the person's going to say, well, this little thing and this little thing made a difference somehow, it still takes hours or even multiple game sessions to demonstrate the idea. And so he had this great approach. He sat down with a couple of people and he started up a game of UNO. Just regular card game Uno. He said, I want to kind of show you something. And so they started playing a couple rounds of Uno. And on one of the turns, the person who was the game master went and played a card. And Doug said, you can't play that card. The guy's like, why not? And Doug says, you just can't. I don't want you to play that card right now, so you have to take it back. And so he took that card back, and so he played a different card that the rules say should be a legal card to play. And Doug said the same thing. I don't want you to play that one either. you have to just take it back, put it back in your hand. I don't want you to play that. You know, well, why? The rules say I can. Well, I just don't want you to. And he's like, Well, what do you want me to do? And he said, Well, I want you to like play a green card or something like that. So he plays a green card. And he says, You can't play that one either. And he's like, Well, why not? So, well, because I only want you to play a green card that's like a six or higher. He just kept shutting him down at every single thing he was doing and making him go through these increasingly obscure hoops. And then after doing this for a bit, he goes, "Well, oh, Mr. Miyagi said, now imagine that's a role-playing game. Do you understand why this isn't fun? It was a brilliant approach because of the fact that it took the concept and distilled it down to such a simple metaphor to such a simple way of demonstrating the problem and the frustration it creates. And one of the things I was thinking about along these lines, and by the way, you guys feel free to cut in here anywhere. You don't need to let me lecture. But I happily will. As a
1: long time now at this point, 10-year host of Fear the Boot, I love
0: a lecture. Wow. Okay. Okay, well, we can do that. So... (laughs) One of the things that I've noticed that I think is an internal difficulty of role-playing games, I think everyone needs either a mentor or a lot of experience to get past this hurdle, is the conflict between the two ideas that are in the name. The compound word Mm role-playing and game. Because role-playing implies totally free imagination. It's absolute make-believe What are the limits on make-believe? Well, basically nothing. You can do whatever you want. You're as free as your imagination lets you be. But the game part... You have to have rules. Yeah, there's rules. There's boundaries. Suddenly, the tennis court has a net in the middle that you can't hit the ball into. And there's places from which you can serve and places from which you can't. And there's inbounds and out-of-bounds and legal shots and illegal shots. And faults and things like that. And now all of a sudden there's structure to it that everyone is expected to abide by. And it is real easy as a new game master to fall off one side of the rails or the other. Either you get so loosey-goosey that there is no structure to it at all. There's no game. There's no consistency. It's just total fiat of Whatever I feel like works and whatever I don't feel like doesn't work. And so all of a sudden, we think we're playing the game of tennis or the game of Uno. And even though you made a completely fair move, you're suddenly told, well, it's not fair or a move that was unfair is fair because the game structure doesn't exist or is profoundly inconsistent. Or on the flip side, you want to add so many rules that are oftentimes very arbitrary that it becomes so overstructured that... You don't
2: get anything done. Yeah, you can't... You don't
0: get that experience of collaborative storytelling because you can't tell a story because everything you come up with, even though by every right of the structure of the world, the setting of the world, and the rules we're playing under, this should work. You just can't do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If I may, I think that this
1: situation is symptomatic of... I, I guess... I've had too much sake. It's difficult for me to describe what I'm trying to say. But the point that I'm trying to make is, is that as a game master, it's really, really challenging to drive story. And you feel that the responsibility for the entertainment of the group is your responsibility. Because as a game master, your role traditionally is one that is proactive. And the player role is one that is reactive. And when their reaction, when it doesn't fit into what you as the game master have decided that this is the thing that propels the story and the players aren't getting it right, dude, that's challenging, right? And put yourself in the game master's perspective where you are one person There's an entire group of people that you are trying to entertain and that you are trying to engage and that you've spent this time creating this narrative and X is the solution, right? And you know, X is the solution, but the players aren't coming across X. So for me as a game master is that, okay, is X the only solution Or are Y and Z decent solutions and how do I make them fit in? So I think that this particular individual, because of their lack of experience, they thought X is the only solution and they don't have the experience Mm -hmm. to step back and say, hey, my players are giving me Y and Z or alpha and gamma. They've got a lot of different solutions that I am not experienced enough to say hey those work and those fit into my game
3: there was a video i saw and you might have seen this yourself uh just a little silly tiktok type style video where a lady's watching a guy put some objects into one of those kids toys where you know we put the square and the square hole oh, sure and the circle into the circle hole well they were taking the square put in square hole right no problem then they took the circle they also put it in the square hole
2: well, yeah it you know
3: fits. It, right because it fits but it was creating anxiety for the person who was watching the video because it's like oh, this is it's insanity not it's not part of the rules so for someone who's a newer GM or you know doesn't have as much experience running as a GM when you're sitting there in front of okay I've got a plan I've got some stuff in my head and I got this all these numbers and there's rules to follow and to make sure I'm doing everything when you're presented with a circle and they've tried to put it in a square hole sometimes it just like you hit a wall and yeah. you're like how uh, do I what how do you overcome whoa, that? Yeah. And
0: rather than accepting it works, it yeah. fits through there, you just say, well, you just can't do that. Right. And it that I think is acceptable to a point, but it very quickly becomes frustrating to the players because Agreed. like I have my character sheet that says I ought to be able to do this, this, and this within the context of the world it makes perfect sense that i ought to be able to do this this and this but none of my ideas are working well why am i participating right. and i just loved how so simplistically doug was able to represent that idea through a different medium to show mm-hmm. the problem not in the context of a role-playing game but to show it in an object lesson that took only a matter of A couple of minutes.
2: Well, in a very rulesy game, at that, you know, like Uno is rules. (laughs) Like it wouldn't yeah. exist if it didn't. And the, the fact rules. that,
0: because you no, know, no, it's been a while since I played it, but you have to match either number or color. color Is that correct? Yeah. Right? So yeah. let's say there's That's a. At the base level. Right. So let's say there's a green number four down. Yeah. And you've got a red number four. Well, the rules say you should play yep. it. And all of a sudden you're being told, no, you no, can't. No, you can't. And it's like, well, why not? I, I just said you can't. Mm-hmm. There's no internal reason. There's house no, like,
2: rule. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. I just
0: am not allowing that to work in this situation. And. You know that, that captured that frustration very quickly, and oh, it, yeah. was, it was such an elegant, beautiful demonstration.
2: But I can feel that to my core, though, because I mean, I, I haven't had it happen in role playing games, I guess, because I compartmentalize it differently. But when I fight with my spouse, <laughs> mm-hmm. like you know what I mean, I get that same feeling where it's like, no, you can't do that. And he's like, well, why not? Because I said so. <laughs> like, it's just, it's very easy to fall even outside of gaming, into that same mentality. You get flustered. You get flustered. Mm -hmm. And that's just your reaction is, oh, this is outside of what I was expecting. Well, I I think
0: not always, but a lot of times what's behind that is fear. Mm -hmm. That you're afraid because they're deviating from the script. And now that they're deviating from the script or the game that I've prepared or the notes that I have, well, what if this keeps careening off course and I don't have any idea what to do, and I run out of story to tell, and I end up looking foolish. Or what if a game that was supposed to last four or five hours, they solve it in five minutes by finding a shortcut I just yep. haven't thought of? Or what if you know something that was supposed to be a certain level of difficulty or have a really dramatic bit of storytelling around it? And they just skip past that content. Does that rob my game of some of its value? Does my best stuff end up on the cutting room floor, or do I end up pigeonholing the what I'm dealing with into
3: a place where I don't know how to get out of it? Yeah, you know, because you're given a you know a solution, and maybe it tur- go they go left instead of you said if you're going right. Well, now I have nothing prepared. I have nothing in my hands. I have no no toolkit in my back pocket to kind of play with that and work with it without getting completely off the rails
2: well maybe what i understand as a gm maybe the mentor there is to say it's okay to be like hey we're gonna end the game early because i did not prepare for this rather than shoehorning that's the mentor yeah i
0: I think it is at least in my opinion it is less frustrating to the players to admit i didn't expect that and i need a moment to rethink things or to grab someone at the table who's a more experienced gm and say hey can we we talk for a minute because i don't know how to work this now or to say you know hey i need to take five minutes just to think about this than it is to just keep arbitrarily vetoing Mm -hmm. everything the players do or throwing these obfuscations and obstructions in their path for no reason other than just to slow them down because either the players see through it or they don't but whether they see through it or not They end up in the same place. They're frustrated. In my entire
1: gaming career, I have never had the wherewithal or the maturity to look at my group and say, I hadn't considered that. Mm -hmm. I wasn't prepared for that option. You know what? These are great ideas. Give me five or 10 minutes to consider, you know what? I'm not sure how I want to react to that. And again, I'm not an expert. I don't know every person who's run a game, but I don't know anyone who has had the maturity and the wherewithal in that moment to say, I'm not sure how to handle this. You've never just
3: said, I have to go to the bathroom. Well, no, so, yeah, <laughs> that's what I do. But that's Just but go to the bathroom. Give five minutes to sit. Crap. But but <laughs> that's but that's a deception. Right? I, it is. It is.
0: It is. And, and
1: and I think that that deception requires a certain amount of expertise, right? Sure. An experienced game master can say, you know what, guys, those are actually really cool. But I've got a grumper. My <laughs> bowels are grumbling. I need to go push out some poop. <laughs> Most people don't do that, right? I think that the natural reaction is to be defensive.
2: Double down. And, oh yeah. And
1: exactly. Yeah. And to double down. So for me to not be defensive, to not double down, to not resist, that's the thing that I, as a game master, need the most help with. And yeah. I need my players to indicate to me that it's okay that I'm wrong. Or that I've made a mistake. But when I'm looking across the table at all these other people, it's very difficult to say, I f***ed up and I don't know how to fix it.
0: Well, and I think what makes it worse is let's just unpack a little bit of human nature here. And this is not an indictment of this particular game master. This is an indictment, once again, of human nature in general. What is the emotion that tends to follow on the heels of fear? anger anger Mm -hmm. and so if you start feeling like you're losing control of the game and that's making you worry or feel embarrassed or feel like you're losing your material or you're losing control of the situation oftentimes we will fall back to the emotion of anger we will become very defensive Mm -hmm. well wait a minute I know that you have this big magical trap, but this wall next to it's made of regular stone. I've got the stone-shaped spell. I just create a door and walk right through it. And it's like, well, wait a minute. There's supposed to be a big series of puzzles and encounters about trying to get the key to this door out of another room further down the dungeon that has all these encounters around it and blah, blah, blah. So you suddenly get defensive. It's like, well, this should work. Well, no, it can't because of, and then oftentimes what follows isn't a terribly cogent reason anyway, or it feels very ham-fisted. Well, there's a anti-magic field there for no given reason other than I need it to be there right now, and the players know they're getting obstructed. Broder, you said this was something that has been a struggle for you in terms of having the wherewithal to admit that you're stuck. One of the things I will say in my own favor as a GM is, as terrible as my GMing was in my early days, and this was one of my issues, is I tend to wildly over-script and over-limit the group, I did do a pretty good job of admitting when they had outthought me. In the very first campaign that I ever ran, it was, you know, fastest Star Trek game, and I had this big plot worked out where Starfleet was going to have them test this artificial intelligence this automation center that was going to try running the ship of course this was going to go nuts yep, really <laughs> yeah it's going to go nuts and try to take over the ship and then it's going,
2: going omega to omega us. yeah
0: and they're going to be fighting it for control and have to outthink it and whatever well and as soon as that thing came on board they said okay we're hooking it up with a bunch of fail safes and kill switches and whatever and they made the roles, and by every right, they succeeded. Right there, my was a 14 year old self, or however old I was at the time. I said, You know what? You guys just undid my plot. That's what I had written for tonight, and you guys have just fixed it before the problem ever occurred. You borked it. And <laughs> I don't remember what we ended up doing. I don't remember if I came up with something else on the fly or if
2: called it a night We something? just called
0: it a night or played video games. I honestly, because this was back in like 1988, so I guess I was younger than 14. I would be like You should, have, had, should have just had the borg show up with triples. Yeah. But... <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> Borgs and triples. Well, hey, ADE. wouldn't this be before the Borgs? Oh, uh, uh, true. That's true. Yeah, yeah, but uh, triples. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, the triples They could have just been falling out ceilings. Yeah. And- what?
2: Why did...
1: <laughs> did anyone not try to f*** a triple? Like, <laughs> okay. I feel like... And I know this is not a negative episode, but I feel like that if anything was like the most quintessentially... Amazing masturbatory thing, asset tool, it would be to put my pen in a triple. But anyway. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> It's like a featureless hamster. <laughs> I feel like it's just it's that like a way. vagina that I can hold in two hands. That's what I feel like that a Tribble is. <laughs> so to
2: pull this back away from triple, <laughs> f***ing. I would be very curious to see personality types and being able to do what we are talking about doing. I happen to be a very confident person, so I would have no problem being like, hey, "I jacked up." Here we go. We gotta like pause yeah. or move away. You don't strike me as confident, so maybe that is something th- the difference. Do You know what I mean? Like maybe that's harder for you because you're not as confident in yourself.
0: Yeah, and in my case, it's neither. I have low confidence, but I'm a big compromiser. Yes, I would sooner. I'm that too. I mean, I will not let myself be walked all over like a doormat. But up to a certain point, I would rather just cede territory than fight over something that doesn't matter.
2: And rather than have that conflict of the players being like, what the who? Yeah,
0: so rather than rile up the players and just be like, yeah, that worked, and I just got to take this one on the nose. I don't have an answer for it.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. You see, that's where
1: I am not confident and adversarial is that I, as a game master, will say things like, Okay, I won't say them, but I will thank them, that somebody else's idea is dumb,
0: <laughs> and that I don't like it, okay. and that I
1: want to move on
0: to a not-dumb idea. I see. I think we need to change your saying from, there's no dysfunction at my table because I don't allow it, to there's no dysfunction at my table because I can't stand the competition. <laughs>
2: oh, sh-
0: that's a little too spicy. That's a little too real, yeah, a little too cutting.
1: I don't think I can do that because it's So yours
2: comes from a arrogance situation. I, okay.
1: All right. I'm gonna say something because I'm really drunk. I'm gonna say something that I I would not normally admit. But I'm a creative guy, and oftentimes my ideas aren't shitty like other people's. Oh, and, <laughs>
2: And I get why you get along with my husband. (laughs) We just have that in common. And
1: sometimes (laughs) I don't want to deal with somebody else's stupid idea
2: is that why you gm more than you? yes ah, yes no,
1: that is absolutely
0: true i can kind of relate I, <laughs> i'm just yeah. i roll with
2: punches I, I'm, I'm just whatever. kind of
0: good though at like saying okay that's nice and patting somebody on the head and then doing the right thing anyway <laughs> which is something i learned at my jobs because people hire me because of my expertise in certain areas And then when they ask me a question about the area of expertise they hired me to be an expert on, they don't listen to my answers. And so I've gotten very good at just, like it used to really piss me off, but I've gotten really good at just saying nothing or very little and then doing what needs to be done anyway. But here's what I will say. I absolutely,
1: I try (laughs) to recognize where other people have better ideas than I do and try to accept that. There are way smarter and more creative people and better game masters than I am. They're out there. I know them. I've enc- But you
2: don't
0: know any of them.
1: No, I do know them. <laughs> I, I just accept
0: them in theory. <laughs> I,
1: I, 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 I've encountered them. I just, I don't know. I mean, some people like the movie Independence Day. And think that it makes sense and that it's logical and that it's a good script. And some people would rather kill themselves than watch that movie a second time. I'm just in the second camp. I see. So you're
3: better than everyone.
1: No, no, I'm not better. I just have a different opinion about stuff. And sometimes being the only sane person... In a world of fing lunatics is
0: challenging. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah, you know the and you're not wrong, but there's two truths at work there. One is a simple mathematical truth (laughs) that the majority of people do not want to internalize, which is fifty percent of the population is below average at any given task. And just playing the statistics here, everyone at this table is in the lower fifty percent on some. Not short list of things. Absolutely. Now there mm-hmm. may be things where we're in the top fifty percent. There may be things where we're in the top half a percent. But there are things where we're not that great at, and most people are not real ready to admit that. I there is. And, and I had this conversation with my wife
1: today. Yeah. And we've really, and I apologize that we've we've left the topic in the dust. But yeah, I don't know what I'm good at.
0: No, I don't think we have left the topic in the dust because this leads into my second thought here on that. So there's two truths. The first truth is we're not as, you know, Dunning-Kruger effect and all that. We're not as good as we think we are at certain things. And I mean, I guess really that's the second truth is there's a 50-50 chance we're in the lower half on a particular task. And I realize, yes, you can learn through feedback and comparison and certain criteria and such that maybe you're not, so it's not truly just a random 50-50. But I'm, I'm just trying to say that half of the populations below average in any given thing. But I think we tend to assume that our ideas are the right one. How many people have you talked to that have really, really strong political and religious views and will simultaneously admit they know that they're not perfect, so they're probably wrong on something? but cannot admit for the life of them what the thing is they're wrong about Mm. or are likely wrong about. I mean, just think about that way for a moment. Now, anyone is that way because emotions are not rational. And they've done tons of experiments to demonstrate this, that when you ask people questions on certain subjects, they retreat to an emotional place, not an intellectual place. And when presented with confounding evidence or contradicting evidence, they actually entrenched deeper they in their views. Down. They double mm-hmm. down, right. Instead of saying, wow, you know what, I was wrong. Maybe I'm the moron, not the guy that I was screaming at on the internet. But instead they double down that actually that hardens their views. Now, the relevance of that to this subject is that at the table, if your skill as a player or a game master, your interpretation of the rules or your strategy for playing a particular class, or whatever it is, gets challenged, we are more likely than not to retreat to an emotional place. To get defensive, to get hostile, to not really be willing to see what it is that we're not doing correctly. And this goes back to the thing that Doug did. I love it because of the fact that it didn't leave the opportunity for defensiveness because... He did not explain what he was doing it until it was done.
2: Yeah. So yeah.
0: he basically created that same frustration. And then only after that frustration had set in, that in a weird and harmless sort of way, he had flipped the script in terms of who was the victim and who was the aggressor. And I hate to use terms that strong, but I just bear with me here. But he flipped the script in terms of who was the giving end and who was the receiving end. And then all of a sudden, he's like, now do you understand what I'm talking about? And he never set up what he was trying to do. So the person didn't have that moment to start putting up their defenses. To no, get but, defense, yeah. If know.
1: I could quote Middleman,
0: it, it is sheer elegance in its simplicity. Yeah, it is. It was, And I when he was telling me this, I was blown away. I'm like, this is beautiful. I said, "Do you, I asked him, I said, do you mind if we discuss this on the show? This is such brilliantly simple advice and of course you gotta be careful don't try and be a, a dick with this and just everything that annoys you, you set up some trap to try and twist the knife and show them how they're stupid. I
2: mean, why not? But,
0: because, I, well, I mean I know, joking, yeah. that, yeah. I know you're joking, but the answer to that's a fair question, I know you're joking but I think the answer to it would be because then you're just becoming a petty, right. narrow-minded right. But if you have a serious problem where everyone in the group is like, okay, this behavior is not cool, and approaching the person in the normal way is not working, you're not getting through to them, maybe coming up with a simple metaphor that puts them on the other side of that, and your goal is not to be cruel, your goal is not to win an argument, your goal is to help them understand Because you love them and want to see them get better. Because you don't want them to be in a situation where people are miraculously getting sick every week. They're GMing, you know, or something like that. (laughs) And you don't want to put them in that situation. So your goal here is not to be right. It's to help them learn and help them grow. You have a noble and humble goal here. And, you know, you, you don't use this for every little thing that annoys you. But you find some way to kind of reframe the issue where they see the issue before they even understand the object lesson. And once again, as a result, you caught them before they retreated to that place of emotion. You caught them before they retreated to a defensive posture. All right. I think one of the reasons this works extremely well
3: is because this individuals had rapport with each other before they started this, this conversation yes. in this item. You can't do this with some GM you've just met or something you've just gotten to know. It's going to be very challenging to throw this object lesson at them without creating that, yes. uh, that altercation that you may not – unless they're really good people. And if they're already good people, they may be easier to talk to, just straightforward. Being able to get to that candor situation where you're like, okay, I've got this object lesson and you're trying to bring that in front of them. You have to do it from a place where you know who they are, You they know who you are, and that you're not coming
0: at them with like, ha-ha. Yeah. You know.
2: yeah. Don't yeah. do this to a con game that have yeah. never oh, met. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Don't do this at a con game. Don't, Julia, let's play some Uno. <laughs> don't, don't do this all the time. Don't do this to prove yourself right. And also, one thing I know about Doug that I feel very confident in saying is Doug is a very even-tempered, even-keeled sort of person. And so he's the sort of person that can do this without... The moment that the other person starts feeling frustrated, jump up and point at him and say, "Aha! I've got you!" You know, oh, and and victory lap on him and be a jerk about it. I kind of
2: want to victory lap somebody on Uno now,
0: <laughs> but there's yeah, actually do that every.
2: I've got one
1: card left, you bitch. What? are
0: on the table. Yeah. Actually, if you dig back at our catalog, there is an episode about that. <laughs> <laughs> because about spiking the football in Uno. Yes. yes. Because I, the, the in fact, Chad found it hilarious the way I framed it in the show notes if I said something like. Pat takes a break from World of Warcraft to win Father of the Year by destroying his kid at UNO. <laughs> yep. He like was downstairs waiting on something and his kid asked him to play a game of UNO, so he played once and his kid won. And that bothered Pat to the point that he would not go back upstairs to World of Warcraft until he beat him in like four consecutive games. <laughs> oh
2: my goodness.
0: <laughs> Just to make a point. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> but... Uh but you know the point is that uh, that's the kind of child abuse i can get behind but you know the, the point is that you cannot walk in with that kind of attitude like any tool in the toolbox you can misuse this one. Oh yeah and you can use it just for the sake of not trying to help them but to make yourself right or to demean them or to nitpick every little thing you disagree with because let's go back to what i was talking about before maybe you're in the wrong and in this case, the whole group was feeling the frustration and it was of one mind on this. Right. And so I feel fairly confident saying we had the right of it. And he found a very gentle way to convey that. But if you lose the plot on any of those factors, you've just become the villain is all you've done. Mm-hmm. I have
1: to say, as someone who speaks on the mics, oftentimes I forget that sometimes the people listen to the show may not have the level of experience game mastering as other people. And I feel like, because I've been doing it for a long time, and we've all been gaming for a long time, that when I'm talking to the audience, I'm talking to people that may already have had the answers. But to the new game master, to somebody who hasn't had this issue before, who had a solution to a problem and said this is the solution to the problem and until the players to deduce that solution to the problem they're not going to get from point a to point b i think for me if i was talking to me as a game master from years ago the advice would be look if your players present you with a solution to a problem don't Deny that one solution, even if it's a railroad, you're always laying track ahead of them. And as long as they don't see you laying track, nobody gives a shit, right that it's a railroad, as long as the track is camouflaged. And I think that in this situation when you present a solution to the game master and the game master hits you with no, 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 no. I think that what the game master should say is, okay, The party has presented me with a solution. What's the next impediment? What is the next challenge? So that it's not a super easy thing for them. It's not a one and done simple solution. But I need to reward the players for coming up with an idea that is strong. It makes sense. It should be successful. Let me give them that victory and then pull the rug out one more time by giving them another impediment, another complication, and then letting them figure out that complication, right? Because it's Mm -hmm. not about beating me. It's about downbeats and upbeats Mm -hmm. and downbeats and
0: upbeats. You came up with a clever way past the door okay, you got a clever way past the door. Now
2: you're in another chamber.
0: Now you're in another chamber. And you know what? Maybe there was not originally any monsters in that chamber, but now there are because, like you said, it's about laying track. I I think one of the ways that I would look at is in playing a video game. If you give me a video game and say, Dan, this is a game you can play for 40 hours, 80 hours, 120 hours, and it's that long of a game, to me, this is good entertainment for my money, and I typically enjoy those games. That's very different than saying, Dan, here's a 10-hour game, but you are going to fail so much at one or more of the encounters that it will take you 40, 80, 120 hours to ever beat this game. Oh, no. I mean, this is the difference (laughs) between something like, say, Fallout 4 or Mass Effect or Witcher or something like that. And a game like, you know, and I'm not bashing on the Dark Souls series, because for some people that's their jam. But it's hard. Yeah, Yeah, but for me, the idea of a 10-20 hour game that takes me 80 hours to beat, because I just get killed and killed and killed and killed and killed. That's a very, and that's probably not the best example, Mm because I realize that title... The difficulty is its selling point.
2: Right. But, right.
0: And I'm not coming up with the examples, but I well, know... I
2: playing any of those games on the extra hard mode.
0: Well, okay, right. let me give one that... This is going way back, but I remember from some years back where I got stuck forever in the game Ultima 8 because mm. I could not find my way through this one massive, endless, entirely overstated its welcome dungeon.
2: And you didn't have the guidebook.
0: Yeah, and I didn't have the guidebook, and I couldn't figure out how to get out of there or where (laughs) I was, and (laughs) it just went on and on and on, and what was supposed to have been a couple of hour jaunt through this little dungeon turned into days of frustration, and I quit playing the game, and I only went back to it later when someone loaned me the tip book or something, and I figured out right. what it was i was supposed to do but that's very different than a game where you're going through that much genuine content right and given enough time i could come up with other games that had that one fight that was just total bs missed and riven those kind of games where they had
3: complicated puzzles that were so deep that if you miss some little bit you had to you, you needed yeah. the guidebook half the time. Yeah, they were solvable. If you missed one thing, you were you had to spend hours going to search for that one clue bit, and there wasn't a way to like get that clue again. And in a real like an RPG where you can get replaced, a GM can go, okay, he wears that clue again in a different place. Yeah, with GMing you can modulate. I, I do this a lot. I have a I've beats. I have a. You know, an idea that I have in my head of here's a complications that's going to come in, in place. But if they skip past that town, I can just place it in a different area and find a reason why that is not that, you know, is in the new area. And just take those as beats as, OK, here's your challenge. Here's another challenge. Here's another challenge. But I don't fix them in that city at all every time. And I'll adjust. OK, maybe it's not, yeah. you know, Bob, the, uh, the blacksmith that there's cha- that their challenge. It's the bard in the next town but the same type of challenge is there.
1: Right. But that's the hard part as a game master Mm -hmm. is to recognize that there is always another challenge. There's always another NPC. And for a long time as a game master, I had difficulty. I didn't want the NPCs that I had, had invested so much time and effort in creating To be defeated, I wanted there to be a certain level of challenge into getting to the bad guy and to defeating the bad guy. And it took me, because it's like the rush song says, I can do what you do. It just takes me longer, right? For me as a gamer, it took me a long time to get to the point where I was doing what you're doing and things are built in a modular fashion Mm -hmm. where I can plug them in at different points. But again, I think that's symptomatic of the inexperienced game master is that you have a thing in your head, you become fixated on it. Exactly. And you don't want to deviate Mm -hmm. from the thing. But what you don't recognize is that even though there are three or four or five other people at the table, they actually don't know what's going on in your head or what's going on behind the screen. So you've got a lot of liberty. There's a lot of areas you can take credit for cool ideas that weren't necessarily yours. And I'm not saying that you should take credit for things that weren't yours, but your players often have a better idea than you.
0: Yeah, it's like you described, that you become so fixated on an experience that you had planned that you don't see the bigger picture. You lose sight of any possible solution because of how narrowly your view is locked in on the fact. Let's go back to that Star Trek game I was talking about. Well, it was supposed to be this big thing of them having this epic battle of wits against a computer that's taken over their ship, and now they've put all these fail-safes in place to where that's not realistically going to happen. So I just threw up my hands and didn't know what to do. As a more mature GM, well, okay, I can already tell you some ideas of what I should have done. They get all their fail-safes in place, and they work. I don't take that victory away from them. But what happens instead is while they're out in the middle of nowhere putting this thing through its paces suddenly a Romulan ship decloaks and steals it and runs off with Federation AI technology. Ooh. Now you've got a brand new problem. Or even worse, the Romulans hook up the AI and it does exactly what it's supposed to do. It works brilliantly and cooperatively, and now against you Against you. Against you. And now suddenly <laughs> you have this Romulan ship out there stalking around that has a superhuman level of intellect and perfection to it. And so the fact that it wasn't Villainous at all becomes the problem, and so there's all these different ways you could go with it
1: now. See, I am on this f-ing wank tangent, right? <laughs> of a ship that has a concept of self preservation, not the crew, yeah, but the well, actual that's a story ship itself. Does it want to get its ass kicked? No, yeah, it's does a- it want to die? No, but does it want to be victorious and kick the sh- out of others? Absolutely. Well, yeah,
0: especially if you guys know its weaknesses and knew how to put (laughs) lockdowns on it and the inventor of the AI is on your ship, maybe to self-preserve, it has to kill you before it can feel safe. And so there's a third or fourth possible story of the ship is no kinder to the romulans than it was to you because right, the
1: crew is but an infection the crew is a disease that yeah. needs to be purged. <laughs> now it becomes i'm own my own, own entity and these are things in my body that i yeah. need and to so be now it becomes
3: rid of its own it's fix- like it's turn all- off the
0: oxygen oh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Awesome. So now it becomes, <laughs> it becomes its own uh, faction, and so now you have another rail to it. The it just poop
1: are... out the dead, frozen crew from the <laughs> vacuous inside. It has, intense it has size a thing.
0: transporter. It just yeah,
3: beams uh, the romulans yeah. onto oh your ship. Oh my god, I'm a bad Star Trek. Ship. You don't even have to
0: beam them in full size. Burganess. Original particles. Well, we or could do just it. Be, we or do it. Create a problem by beaming the Romulan crew with troubles. their disruptors aboard the Federation ship. <laughs> all
1: right. True. All right. <laughs> Super aggressive AI. That's the Star Trek I want. I want just the, these
2: organics. <laughs> it's like Omega Virus, yeah. a board game, but Star Trek.
1: Exactly.
0: Because no, organics, security breach. organics are the problem. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. there was a Star Trek episode that was somewhat along these lines where. I think it was something called Nomad that took over the ship. It was one of the r- original series uh, episodes yeah. Yeah, where I this agree. thing called Nomad, I think, took over the ship, and they couldn't unplug it and whatever. But anyway, that's where we'll leave this one. <laughs> There's some feedback somebody left on one of our shows that we were going to come back to next episode. So Leif, I'm assuming that's how your name is pronounced. If you want it pronounce some other way, let me know. But Leif, we are going to come back to your Patreon comment. This isn't a Brodor hate follow? No, 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 this okay. is not a Brodor hate follow. <laughs> and uh, talk about preferential treatment to the player versus the GM versus how do you strike that balance. And we're going to do a game called the fifty-one forty-nine game. So uh, well, that's what we'll do next time. As for everyone else, you guys have a great week and great games. And we will catch you next time.
1: Butt stuff.
0: This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2022. Listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. If you wish to support this show and its related endeavors, you can do so at patreon.com slash feartheboot.